The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Kent Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. And this is the AP Laboratory, where myself... Matt Lane, Craig Stout all get together to talk about what we saw on tape from last week's game and get you ready for next week's opponents. Uh, We have a lot to cover today. Uh, We'll talk about Patrick Mahomes here in a second. A little bit later, we'll talk to Matt uh, about the pass rushers on this team, get an idea of the realities of what that unit is at this point. Then we'll talk a little bit about the defense with Craig Stout, get an idea of what he's seeing uh, for the first three weeks of the season and uh, and plenty more. And of course, every week we always end the show with a big nerd squad mailbag. It is our favorite piece of the show every single week. Um, and that's not we're not just saying that. It really is. We love getting to interact with you guys, and it gives us all a chance just to get together and kind of talk about maybe subjects that we aren't covering all the time. So um, thank you again for your questions. Please keep them coming. Uh, before we get into any of that stuff, let's just talk a little bit about Patrick Mahomes. Uh, parts one and two of the, uh, of the weekly film review should be out by the time this gets released. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about what we've seen so far uh, and what we saw against the 49ers. It was kind of an up-and-down performance for Patrick Mahomes. Um, it was, uh, it was really, uh, you could tell that he was trying to manage the juice in the first quarter. Uh, he was very amped up. He was really excited to, uh, to play and you could tell, um, it was, it was very obvious early on that he was trying to manage his juice. And I think Andy Reid had an idea about that as well. I think he was trying to manage him because I think he knew Mahomes was going to be excited to be out there. A lot of very simple, basic concepts early when it came to the passing game. Um, couple, I think he had like a, a two-man route with uh, comebacks on the outside. Uh, he tried to hit Sammy Watkins on one, overthrew him. Ran some mirrored concepts, uh, sprinkled in some screen game early, some very basic day one route combinations. It was a very simple early passing game script for Mahomes. And I think they were trying to just manage it. And he finally settled in, and then we saw a phenomenal quarter of football from Patrick Mahomes. The second quarter was really, really good. And even though it was kind of – it was probably his worst performance of the season, which is still saying a lot because he threw three touchdowns. But he did 
give us what I think is his best play of his young career. And of course, I'm talking about the world's coolest four-yard touchdown pass, copyright pending. That throw was amazing. And if you go back and you listen to what Mahomes had to say about it, um, it, it gets even more interesting and you can appreciate it a little bit more. Mahomes talked about uh, in the post-game presser that when he went to scramble to his left, he realized that the routes that the the play originally called for weren't weren't really able to work to him. He wasn't there wasn't a lot of options over there to the left, so he quickly changed course when he peeked over and saw that, and he made a course adjustment and uh, scrambled and sprinted to his right, uh, eventually finding Chris Conley in the back of the end zone. You think about that, and like that's just a, that's a really impressive play for a young quarterback who um, understood the construct of the play and was able to realize, oh, I don't really have a ton of options over here. I need to work back here, um, and he eventually did. And and he had good uh, he had good options working to him, uh, and that he was working to when he moved over to his right. So um, that was that was a really impressive moment for the kid. Like uh, that that not just the arm talent, not just being able to escape, um, the 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 velocity to drive the ball, the anticipation, the accuracy in a tight window, but even just understanding, you know, what his choices and what his options were at the beginning of that play it was really impressive. Really nice start uh, to Patrick Mahomes' career. Obviously, it's the best we've ever seen from a quarterback. 13 touchdowns in three weeks. That's that's unbelievable. I can't believe that. Um, there, it wasn't all perfect though. There's still we continue to harp on things every single week, um, and it was more prevalent this week than ever. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done within the pocket from Patrick Mahomes, and we've been talking about this a lot the last um, the last couple weeks, uh, you don't, you, you, we just got a larger sample size this week to kind of see it. You know, they had kind of, he, he hadn't thrown over 30 t- attempts at, at any point so far this season until Sunday. He threw, I think 38, that was the largest sample size of plays that we got. And, and as the sample size got bigger during the game, you saw a little bit more uneasiness, a little uncomfortability, uh, he missed a couple easy throws early. I think there was a lack of comfort there at times. I think what we're kind of starting to realize about Mahomes to this point is it, when he's in rhythm, I don't think there's very much that can beat him. When he's on time w- with everything, when he's delivering the ball on time, when he's got a rhythm to him, uh, he's deadly. Uh, when he has to hang in the pocket and things don't co- go quite as you know, as planned, and he's got to hang in there for a little extra time, and he's got to move in uh, in tight spaces. Things start to break down for him. He's not been as impressive, and that's normal for a young quarterback. It's it's um it's also, you know, again he he's working within new structure in the pocket, something that he hasn't had to do with with the air raid. He played with with a different pocket construction, with a wider pocket construction. And there was times where he was just allowed to run into the pocket to avoid pressure and now he's having to be more subtle more efficient with his space and if he's not able to throw on time and something goes wrong and he's he's forced to hang in the pocket it gets a little messy and that's okay we're, we're he's working through it uh but that is definitely something that we've been talking about all year that was very obvious this week another thing that i don't think has been talked about enough yet is kind of been interesting I'm not sure Patrick Mahomes has hit a a post over the top of the defense. Um, 
you know, when when he's when he's got a chance to go over the entire defense and, and hit a guy on a post, I don't think we've seen him hit one in the regular season yet. And so that's something to keep an eye on too. Um, I think he had a couple opportunities this week. He had one to Tyreek Hill that got broken up by Richard Sherman. He had the throw to Demarcus Robinson that he missed. I think he missed one to DeAnthony Thomas earlier in the year. So you're seeing that there's it's, this is a little bit of a sample size. He's ha- he hasn't had a ton of success on posts over the top. Something to keep an eye on. But overall, the kid's great, and and it's so exciting to see what he is doing right now. And there's plenty of room to grow. There really is. There's a chance for him to be everything that Chiefs fans hope he is for a long time. And he's got the right mentality. He's been working. He's been doing the right things. He's been working hard to grow and progress. Um, so um, I'm very encouraged by what I've seen from the kid, and I really look forward to watching his growth and progression over the season. We're going to be talking about the good and bad every single week with Patrick Mahomes, where he needs to grow, where he needs to improve, what uh, what he is improving, and then the, the, the brains, the, the special talents of the kid. There's a lot to like, and uh, we'll have three articles every single week on Arrowhead Pride. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a break here. We'll bring Matt Lane in a second to talk about the pass rush and a bunch of other stuff. And now we bring on the, uh, draft and film analyst for Arrowhead pride, Matthew Lane. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Ken. How's it going, bud? Oh man, I'm all right. Like it's, uh, it's, it's been a day. It's been a day, but, uh, I'm excited to be talking to you about the, uh, pass rushers for the Kansas city chiefs. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about D Ford and just using, cause you dove into the tape on them. I wanted to start with D Ford, uh, just because he's had such a great season. There's injury concerns looming for him now that, you know, we kind of, heard that his you know is his hamstring or his groin's been a little tight lately um what do you think about d4's performance so far yeah and this was kind of the big reason i really wanted to dive in on both houston and ford is i just feel like there's a misconception of what each player is bringing to the field every day so that's why i kind of started just with both of them and we're looking at every snap i was focusing on the pass rush this week so i didn't look as much into the run defense which is still D Ford's a little below average. Justin Houston's still great, so we won't even go too much farther into that. But as far as like a pass rusher, D Ford's consistent. Like it's been an issue throughout his career that he's up and down. He comes and goes in little spurts, but this year he's been consistent. He's winning so many different ways. Like his speed rush is what it's always been. Like everybody remembers him, even as a rookie, the few times he got on the field. Like he has the speed. It was just could he do anything else? And now he's got inside counters. He gets his speed to power. Teams pay attention to him more than anybody else along the Chiefs' defensive front on passing downs. Okay, with D, uh, are some of the changes to his pass pass rush plan new? Or is this a is this a 2018 finding, or is this just he's using more things consistently this year than he has in the past? Oh boy, you're going to try to get me to talk for hours on this one. Um, so D Ford had all in these sec- in thirty seconds, Matt. All right, D Ford had D Ford. Okay, so I'm shooting for a minute. D Ford had all of these moves <laughs> back at Auburn. Like people don't realize at Auburn, he had a handful of moves that he used all the time. It was just everything was easy because he was so much faster than the tackle across from him. So cue up the NFL. He gets here. He's still super fast, but he's not that much faster than everybody else. So now all of a sudden, he has to use those same moves from to get into the good position to beat the block and it just wasn't as working he didn't have the functional strength his technique wasn't exactly on point so his 
bull rush or his inside counter just never was effective. He had it, it wasn't effective, so therefore he just simply didn't use it. We kind of saw when he had that stretch of sacks, what, two years ago, he was starting to put them together. You started to see a little bit more bend, a few more counters, then he got hurt. Then last year, hurt. And now this year, we're getting that same D4 that started to put everything together. And it's just a matter of if he's been in the NFL longer, he's figured out how to do it at this level rather than at the college level. It just took a couple years before everybody saw it. So they just thought that he had nothing but speed. And now he's hurt again. Uh, okay. Let's hope so, not. We need well, him. We'll, we'll find we need out. Him. We, might, we might know by the time this podcast goes up. Who knows? Maybe. That would be, that'd be nice to have him back in the mix. Um, okay. Justin Houston. I just wanted to... I, I, I watched the game live, and I just there was there was a there was a few times where it stood out the lack of effort that I thought he had, and I was kind of disappointed at first watch with some of his effort and and stuff like that. Um, but you've watched every single snap of Justin Houston to this point now. Um, what did you think first off about the 49ers' performance? So the 49ers essentially left Houston on an island versus a rookie offensive tackle for the majority of the game. And when he wasn't being blocked by a rookie offensive tackle, they sent tight ends at him one-on-one with no real help in sight. That's not a good look for your top pass rusher getting one-on-one blocked by any offensive tackle, let alone a rookie or a tight end. Like That's just not acceptable when you're looking at what the opposing team's doing. Um, Okay, so... Did you see any effort issues with him or was it just my eyes? I don't, it's hard to tell if it's effort or just a little bit, just a lack of athleticism compared to what he used to be. There's a few plays where it looks like he's about ready to make a play and then he just kind of runs it out and you can't tell if it's just not giving effort to finish out the play all the way or he just doesn't have the juice, so to speak, to get around the final block. I will say there's a couple plays when they go away from him that he will jog it out instead of giving chase, but I think it's almost just a, hey, I'm about to play 70 snaps, so there's no reason for me to chase this play down that I'm most likely not going to get to. So, okay, so is he a little bit washed then? Whew, washed is a strong word. I and know, it's, well, it's just like I'm, so, I'm used to watching Justin Houston be Justin Houston, so are my expectations of him just out of whack, I guess, because I saw a couple of plays, I was like, that does not look like what I've come to expect from him, and maybe that's what it is more than he's loafing, it's just that he's not the same dude. And I think that's fair. So that's part of what I wanted to look at when I was doing it too. It's like I wanted people to reset their expectations for both these players, but specifically Justin Houston. He's not an elite pass rusher where he is not in the same category in the stratosphere of Von Miller or Khalil Mack. He's just simply not. Those guys aren't getting taken out of games multiple times by tight ends and rookie offensive tackles. It's just not who he is anymore. So you have to dial it back a little bit. You had to treat him as that aging veteran pass rusher that's super savvy, has great technique, and if he sees a mistake across from him, he's going to take advantage of it. And that's exactly what you saw down the stretch when he got that strip sack in the red zone. He's kind of, that's so, who he is now. Okay, so is he old Tomba? Yes, he's old Tomba that's a much better run defender. So that still good, makes him a valuable good player. Tomba. He's yes. good old Tomba. Ah, Tomba was never that great as a run defender. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's right. I'm just talking about as a pass rusher. Yeah, yeah, good old Tomba. And if you're going to have a mistake across from him, he's going to take advantage of it. And that's kind of what your expectation needs to be. Not for him to dominate an entire game, unless it's a very, very bad offensive tackle, like he saw against Donald Stevenson in Denver a couple years ago. But for the most part, you're just hoping for that one to two big pass rush and it really matters when an offensive tackle has a slow get off the line like we saw from McGlinchey late in the game or 
a guy that leans into him because Houston can very much take advantage of that. He's just not going to dominate the entire game anymore, and people just have to let that go. I know the price tag says he has to, but you just got to let it go. Well, I think that's part of my frustration is because he's a, he's getting paid you know near twenty million dollars to be what he is. So, um, I mean, Tom Bahali was never making twenty million dollars to be an aging pass rusher. So it's just kind of I think I think there's a lot of layers to that conversation. And with neither JU. was Dwight Freeney, James Harrison. I completely agree. I think it's a, the issue is the ball comes out so quick anymore in the NFL. And Houston was always more of a power pass rusher, so that's going to take a little bit more time as is. So now you just have this guy that needs a little bit more time than quarterbacks take to get rid of the ball to ever even be at the level that Harrison or Dwight Freeney were later in the career. And he's still working on his contract from his prime. And that's just kind of where we're at. I think that I think that's a good way of putting it, man. And I I, I normally try to creep on your articles, so I haven't yet. Um, but it kind of sounds like I just need to adjust some of my expectations for what Justin Houston is. And um, well, I'll, I'll, I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, real quick, wanted to talk to you about the uh, the Denver Broncos defense. What have you seen on your early look? So yeah, I've caught a few games live, and I'm just, I mean, I don't want to offend any Denver Broncos fans that may come listen to this, but there's nothing about their uh, defense is scaring me at all. I mean, Von Miller's obviously great, so it's not to say he's not good and not to be worried about, but Mitchell Schwartz has always fared well, pretty well against him. Bradley Chubb, I loved as a player coming out, but he hasn't been Miles Garrett, second year Miles Garrett as of now. So there's nothing about their defense scares me at this point in time. I don't think that they're safeties or corners outside of Chris Harris are really good. They're not terrible, but they're not good. They're just kind of eh and eh against the Chiefs right now is giving up 40 points without really trying. Well, looks like it's going to be a fun game. Uh, that's Maddie Lane. We'll talk to you here in a little bit for the Nerd Squad mailbag. Catch you later, man. Sounds good. Catch you in a little bit. And now it's time to talk to our defensive analysts over at Arrowhead Pride. It's Craig Stout. Find him on Twitter at BarleyHop. Uh, Craig, I know you're, you've got, you're like a multifaceted human being. Um, I know you know a lot about a lot of different things. Do you have any information on the history of the gold rush? Well, I happen to know off the top of my head that it started in 1843, but I only know that because I was you there. You were born. You were born. Yeah. You were born. Yeah. I, I'm beating you to that joke. Dang no, it. I know that because I had to cover the beer from last week, Anchor Steam. They had a gold miner coming that, about that time, and that's how I know that. Are you kidding? I... <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah, I, have it from last week. I had a stat on hand. It was 1848, and I was going to make a joke about how you were so old that you forgot the date because, <laughs> you know, but whatever. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, well, I, I, I would like to hear some stories on painting for gold out in California, but um, let's talk a little bit about the current 49ers from San Francisco. Um, you predicted one of the plays that they were going to dial up. I did. I actually uh, called the uh, Kittle play when he was lined up as an H-back and he came across the backside of the formation and they slanted down. It was a play-action pass. Uh, D. Ford came off the edge and came at Garoppolo, wasn't able to quite get there, and Kittle was wide open. Nobody picked him up. I even highlighted it from week one against the Vikings and said that they did a poor job keeping an eye on Kittle, and we did as well. Whoa, great. I had a yeah. I kind of had a similar moment wasn't quite the same. Um but I saw like that wide middle screen that they ran to Kelsey in the red zone. 
Um, I, I, that, I picked up on that. Like uh, They ran that same play against the Raiders last year, got Navarro Bowman driving towards the swing route. Uh, I think it was Sharkandrick West out on a swing, and then they popped it to Kelsey in the middle. We had the lead blockers and an escort all the way to the one-yard line. He should have scored. I'm still salty about that. But, um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, good good catch, my man. Good catch. Yeah, um, I, it's, it's nice when that happens, and normally when that happens, I don't have any proof of it. This time, because I'm writing for the site, it's up on the site. It's there for everybody to see. So I'm, Cra- I, I have backup. You got receipts, homie. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, okay, any any tweaks to the game plan uh, for the Niners this week or for the Chiefs against the Niners this week? Any, any tendency breakers, anything different that they uh, ran against the Niners? Well, there was a couple that uh, really jumped out. First of all, they ran a lot more uh, pattern match coverage. Uh, if you don't know what that is, at Barley Hop, it is my pinned tweet right now. I wrote an article this off season. Go check it out. It's about cover three pattern match. But it's they a ran a piece. lot a, of. Hold on, it was a, it. Read the piece, please, because I seriously think it's one of my favorite things that we have on Arrowhead Pride all summer. Sorry, go. I'm not. I'm not oh, trying to kid, blow kids, too kind. Kent's too kind. But they ran a lot of uh, pattern match, and they hadn't shown it quite as much in weeks one and two. So Bob really kind of threw some different looks at the 49ers, and it took them a while to kind of catch up with all of that. Even late in the game, they were still throwing at him every once in a while, and Garoppolo would sort of double clutch because he he would identify it as man initially or zone initially and would kind of have guys in different spots. So Kudos to Bob on that one. And then the second one, both Matt and I have talked about it on Twitter today. Uh, D Ford, his uh, looping blitz that he kind of came through the A-gap when they brought both of the inside linebackers and the A-gaps. We actually talked about how they've just been rushing the inside linebackers at the A-gaps all the time when they bring them in the pass rush and how it's very predictable. Well, guess what? Bob was a tendency breaker there. He actually split them wide and was able to have D loop through the middle. Uh, Chris Jones jumped offside, so it didn't count. But it was a great blitz call. Just a couple tendency breakers. Bob was good this week. That was, yeah, it was a, that was a good dial-up. I liked it. Um, and just so you know, I hated playing against pattern match. And I, it, it, t- it takes away so many of the typical holes that a quarterback's trying to attack with zone coverage and it, it it's very good when like when you can play it um it's really good why why uh or do you think that they'll be able to to continue to play some of those looks moving forward or um were they consistent enough with it like what do you think uh you know they were they were hit and miss with it um when it was hit it was really really good but they they actually seemed to be doing better with their coverage responsibilities doing some pattern match stuff than just some basic cover three looks you know i they they're just very poor in zone so i think that they've really got to get their communications down before they can run it effectively every week it's a nice thing to lean on every once in a while, especially against some more exotic offenses like San Francisco's. So um, if they are able to run that more successfully, that's an indication that they're, they're being able to communicate at a higher level across the board. Fair? Uh, fair. Yeah, very fair. If we start seeing it more and we're not seeing as many blown coverages as we did this week, oh my goodness, this week. But it, yeah, if we start seeing it, be a little more successful and seeing it more than yeah that would be the first real big indicator that they've got stuff fixed on the back end 
Okay, because that's one thing I kind of have been keeping an eye on. It does seem like you know as 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 many inconsistencies in playing time as they had during the training camp at the different levels of the defense. I feel like they're still catching up from a communication standpoint. Oh, I'd fully agree with that. I mean, it doesn't seem like the corners and the safeties are really even on the same page with each other right now. And the inside linebackers definitely aren't on the same page as the other two right now. So they need, maybe it's as simple as getting Eric Berry out there, being able to make the coverage calls on the fly versus Ron out there. I mean, in 2016, we weren't seeing these sort of communication issues. Last year, we did all year long after Eric Berry was gone. We're seeing him this year so far. Hopefully it's as simple as just getting Eric back since he knows what he's doing. I don't know that it is that easy, though. Um, Okay, do you have any thoughts on the Denver uh, offense? Uh, The only real guy on the Denver offense that that scares me is Phillip Lindsey. He is a little quick Running back, he he really hides well behind their offensive line, and he hits the hole really, really fast. He he kind of stutter steps too much behind the line, so if you keep him corralled, he he's not a threat at all. But when he hits the edge with speed, he's been running by guys a lot so far this season. The rest of that offense we're very familiar with. Emmanuel Sanders is a good receiver. Demarius Thomas is an okay receiver. Uh, they don't really have a tight end to speak of. Jake Butt's out there. He's been okay. And Jake Case Butt. Keenum. <laughs> yeah, Jake Butt. Case Keenum has just wanted to give the ball away this season. He's been a statue in the pocket. The Raiders got to him like crazy. And right now that offensive line is play, playing pretty poorly. Uh, Football Outsiders actually has them as a 32.8% pressure rate. So 38.2% of their their passing snaps, they're allowing a pressure. So we might be able to tee off this week. Uh, Case Keenum is making $18 million per year over this year and next year. So uh, this is uh, this is a great development. I, I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan of Case Keenum when he signed there, so I was kind of excited about that anyway. Um, great stuff. Craig, how about we uh, bring Maddie on, do a Nerd Squad mailbag? Let's do it. And now it's time for our favorite time of the week. When I get to talk to Craig? Yes. yes. Hi, and Matt. Get, and I get in the way. Going, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, we're here with Matt Lane, Craig Stout, and not Earl Thomas to, uh. do, to do a Nerd Squad mailbag. We got a lot of questions this week. Boy, uh, is Chiefs Twitter up in arms about this Earl Thomas stuff right now. I know, right? It's crazy. Um, let's uh, let's not talk about Earl Thomas the rest of the uh, the segment. Maybe we'll see. Let's see how it goes. Uh, at Kenny with the Coke asks, why don't the Chiefs play more man coverage, Craig? Because they'd be exhausted. Because they'd be playing for sixty snaps. That's just not a feasible thing. Actually, this week, surprise, surprise. Uh, the Chiefs ran more zone than man uh, by two-thirds to one-third. And the zone coverage was about three yards better per snap than man coverage was. Completely flips from last week. And they gave up both their TDs and man. It was a good thing they ran more zone this week. They were getting torched in man. You got anything, Maddie? Yeah, and I mean, I think the nice little middle ground there is, as you guys kind of talked about a little bit ago, is just the pattern match zone. It plays out like man, but it helps protect guys from not having to run across the entire field all the time. So 
I'll never complain about more zone as long as it's pattern matching and not your just basic static zone. So I'm all good either way. Agree with Craig. 70 snaps a week, man-to-man coverage. That's impossible. I wanted to ask that just so I could see the tone of Craig because I saw him getting a little salty on Twitter when someone asked him that. So I really wanted to make sure that question stayed in. Um, So Pete sent us a question that someone asked on the Arrowhead Pride account. uh, And I wanted to touch that with you guys a little bit here. Um, it's, uh, It's about, it's from Tim Livermore. He says, with the safety group struggling, why isn't Armani Watts getting a shot? thought he looked serviceable in the preseason uh start us off maddie all right so i am probably the lowest out of most chiefs fans about armani watts i just when i watched him play i just didn't see a guy that was ready for the nfl yet not that i think there's no chance i just think he's a little more limited in what he can bring at this point in time he doesn't see the field as well as I think people want him to based on the high interception and turnover numbers so he's just simply not ready He's not great in man-to-man coverage. He doesn't have the athleticism and the short area quickness to hold down the back end. So he's limited to kind of the box safety role, but he's also not a great tackler for it. So he's just kind of a man without a position in the way the current defense is. Yeah, and I know that everybody wants to jump all over Eric Murray. He seems to be very in vogue to pile on him. I am obviously an Eric Murray uh, supporter compared to everybody else. Very Word. middle of the road about him. But uh, he he didn't play as well as Eric Murray did when he got to be on the field last Sunday. I mean, if you think about that uh, fourth down play at the end of the game where uh, the ball was in the end zone and they had the offensive pass interference called, Eric Murray defended that earlier the game in the game and had a pass breakup on it, was running stride for stride with Kittle versus... Armani Watts was a couple steps behind him. So I think he's just got more to do and more to learn and just got to get a little quicker, a little more NFL speed on him. I'm, I'm with you guys both. I think that's all fair. Uh, at F. Kulikin, which individual on the offensive line have you been most, impressive, uh, most impressed with and uh, has improved, improved the most in uh, the last three games or first three games? I'm going to start. Uh, I'm, I want to just give a shout out to, uh, to Cam Irving because I think he's made a lot of strides this year. Um, a guy that has not really looked good at guard in his, uh, historically in his, his career. I think he's done a serviceable job. Um, I'm kind of excited that they signed him to extension. I think that they got good value for what he is at this point, uh, extending him to a couple more years. Uh, Maddie. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has to be the most impressed with Cam Irving just based on the fact of of what you saw in the preseason. He was awful in pass protection. I mean, he just simply was not good in the preseason and come out through these regular season games. He's been absolutely fine, if not good. So he's the easy answer. Mitchell Schwartz has still been the same Mitchell Schwartz. I mean, he got beat by a quick inside move against Melvin Ingram in the Chargers game. And besides that, I I don't even know if he's given up another pressure. So he's definitely the best player on the offensive line. And so that's always impressive. I will say LDT has been the most surprising and not in a positive way for me. I think if there's one guy on the offensive line so far that I've seen that hasn't played to what I thought they would be, it was him. Yeah, and you guys are much better at uh, evaluating offensive line than I am. It it is Cam Irving. Cam Irving is the easy choice. But I'm going to go a little bit of a wild card here. Former Chief Mike Person. I was the most impressed by his ability to fly when Alan Bailey got his hands on him this week. (laughs) I love it. Hey, real quick, just quick yes or no. 
Mitch Morse, is he re-signed in Kansas City? Go. Craig. Yes. Maddie. No. I'm going to go with no as well, just because of the contractual stuff. They got a lot of money right. tied up in there. I think money's going to go somewhere else. Uh, at Chief. Earl Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> at, uh, at Chief Priest 25, has cornerback really been that bad? Or has it been the lack of getting home to the quarterback? Uh, and has the safety play made the uh, corners look bad? Craig? I, you know, I don't think the corners have looked bad the past two weeks. I, I can pick on Steven Nelson for being poor in his uh, zone coverage responsibilities. But Orlando Skandrick right now is top five on football outsiders in both yards per target and uh he's number six in cornerback success rate that's ridiculous for a guy that they just picked up off the scrap heap right before the season started because david hammerson was so bad i think kendall fuller looks good nelson's fine and man i think the problems are up the center of the field i think the corners are fine maddie yeah i no, i agree with craig i don't think that the corners have looked particularly bad at all Outside of, I mean, a few coverage busts and zone, we're talking about miscommunication stuff, but I mean, besides that, they've looked pretty good. I've been impressed with Scantrick, and I don't know why I should be. He's pretty much played exactly kind of how I previewed him when we signed him. It's just the simple fact that nobody thought that he could continue to play at that same level, and they just wanted to believe PFF grades off the top when we first got him. And he seems to be faster. Like, I, I thought that maybe he was going to come in and have a little trouble with the speed of the game in his older age. He, he looks great, though. Yeah, he still looks like he's plenty quick, and he gets his hands on guys in and out of breaks, so like even a faster receiver is not getting away from him. Like I mean, Marquise Goodwin is one of the fastest guys in the league, and when he was matched up with Skandrick, it didn't seem like he was just breaking away from him at any point in time. No, no. Outside of Keenan Allen, Skandrick's been fantastic. Well, that's Keenan Allen. Right. <laughs> Good stuff, guys. Um, at Sports Talk Evan asks, I believe that we won't have a dip in offensive production like last year. Would like to hear your guys' opinions. We'll start there real quick, um, and I'll ask the back second half of that question. Um, I they're going to see some level of regression, I think, but um, I mean, there's still more indicators that this is more sustainable than what we saw last year with uh, with Alex Smith. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, you're going to have a game here or there, maybe even a few games where the production is definitely going to dip a little bit, and so is the efficiency. You're not going to always have five for five touchdowns and a half or something like that, but you're not going to have a stretch in the middle of the year against bad teams and average teams where the offense literally just can't do anything, barring an, a major injury of some kind. Right. I, I, no, they're, they're going to be fine. They are dynamic. They can beat you all over the field. Uh, even with Alex, you felt like there was still some sort of situational stuff that was getting him to the point that he was at the beginning of last year, like you said. Pat just seems like it's it's effortless on offense right now. It, it's a different game plan every week. He's winning in different ways every week. It I don't think that that will be a problem as the season goes along. Guys, uh, I wrote an article last year. I think it was the Jets game. There was a game where Alex Smith wouldn't throw to the field. And it was like, I think it was the Jets game, and he didn't throw outside the numbers to the field maybe more than once, and it was early in the game. So, did we burn. score like 40 points in that game? 
Yeah. I admit, and maybe it was the Giants. Thing. It was the Giants. Sorry. Oh, okay. it was in the, that I think, was a sad watch. It was yeah, the was Giants. Awful. It was the Giants. Good good point. But, I mean, th- yeah, the guy that's going to keep them from, from having stretches is the guy that's willing to th- sling it around the field. So, um, I think I don't think there's going to be a huge gap in production over the year. Um, at Chief Priest 25 asks, Dorian O'Daniel can't cover man-to-man better than Terrence Smith? Matthew? Look, we're going to do this every week, and I'm going to keep it the same. I'm going to keep it shorter and shorter. Terrence Smith had a good-ish game for him last week, and then this week came around, and he was the same old Terrence Smith. Um, I don't see how Dorian O'Daniel could be worse. Uh, in training camp, I did note that he did seem to have a little bit more trouble in man-to-man just because he's not been a big part of his game before while at Clemson, so he's tr- struggling to read route stems. But again, at this point in time, he can't be worse. Yeah, especially since they're running 66% of the zone, unless he's just incapable of understanding route stems, like you said. It's just, it's not, he should be on the field over Terrence Smith at this point. He really should. I should be on the field over Terrence Smith at this point. When when do we start getting worried about Dorian O'Daniel? Like, what, what point for you guys? Like, what week, just give me a week real quick. What week are you worried about Dorian O'Daniel not seeing the field if he hasn't at that point, Matt? Week four of next year, because I think our staff has held young guys back before for veterans such as Frank Zombo last year. Yeah, I was going to say week one of next year. I think if he coasts through this season just getting spot duty, we can kind of explain it away. If he doesn't come out on the field early next year, it's a problem. Yeah, my I won't only, like it. Just, my, only, yeah. my only gripe with that is, like, you've seen the issues that we've had with our linebackers in coverage. So, like, I mean, I understand trying to, to – to, bring him along but i mean at some point you know you got to make a choice here right right yeah you do it's it's a weakness it's a major weakness in the center of the field i said it last week dan Sorensen would be a major upgrade in that spot just because he'd know what to do he wouldn't be screwing up all the time so they need a guy there okay fair um okay similar question about ben neiman could he help with the coverage issues whenever he's healthy? Matt? So, Ben Neiman, we didn't get a huge chance to see him in coverage. I mean, he can't be, again, can't be worse than Terrence Smith. So, if he's out there and they feel he's more ready than Dorian O'Daniel, put him out there. I'm happy for trying it. I don't think, based on what I've seen from him, that he's better than Dorian O'Daniel is in coverage. But they obviously felt a little more comfortable with him, seeming he was playing earlier on in the preseason. So, if that's the case, then yeah, I mean, it can't get worse. So, why not? Yeah, absolutely. And Ben Neiman kind of fits a little bit of that will linebacker role. We we discussed it a little bit here and there, but kind of uh, Anthony Hitchens, uh, Matt, you said when we first uh, signed him that he was a better fit for a Mike or a Sam linebackers, especially in coverage. Getting a will in there kind of pushes uh, Hitchens out to a Sam role in coverage, and you're not having him go up against a running back that's potential – or has the potential to torch him. So just having a lighter guy, little rangier out there might make both of those positions better. Random question on that, Craig. When Terrence Smith comes in, is he playing more of the Hitchens Will role or is he playing Raglan Sam? It it they they flip flop. They really okay. do flip flop. It's not consistent. Good. No, I like that better. Yeah. At Camp <clears throat> sorry, at Cameron Corwin asks what caused the offense to only get three points in the second half? Was it Andy? Was it Pat? Uh, Maddie, start us off. 
So there's actually a pretty good thread on Twitter we had about this already. So you can go to my Twitter page, uh, Chief in Carolina, and I'd retweet it back up to the top and get a little bit more in depth on it. But really, the offense would have been fine had Demetrius Harris not dropped the ball on that first drive in the second half. I think we put the game away on that drive if he doesn't drop that pass. So I'm not concerned. I don't think it was one thing or another. We were just playing conservative, trying not to show any more, not necessarily trickery, but just trying not to put anything else new on tape for somebody else. I mean, we had a three score lead, so Andy was just kind of coasting. Pat wasn't playing his sharpest ball in the second half, but he also wasn't playing poor or anything like that. It was just a big lead and trying not to put too much out there on tape. Great. Yeah, and sh- shout out to Gary McKenzie for that initial question kind of to us that started in on that thread. That this really good thread where we discussed lots of ways that we could bring things at Pat, uh, you know, covering in short zones, uh, dropping guys to areas that he's not expecting, bringing extra uh, extra pass rushers, trying to keep him in the pocket, trying to delay his timing a little bit. I I don't think San Francisco really did any of that successfully. Like like Matt said, I think they just went conservative and Demetrius Harris dropped a pass. Yeah, they really only had two possessions after the Demetrius Harris drop. One ended in a field goal. The other one was uh, got pushed back. They were in, they got into a third and fifteen, and Pat almost made an incredible play. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you guys on all of that. Um, hey, okay. hey, Kent, real yeah. quick, can we tag this up? That was Pat's worst game of the year, correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's it's really I don't even know if it's that close. And I, it was kind of interesting. It was the game that he got a larger sample size of throws. Uh, I kind of mm-hmm. wonder if they were you know maybe protecting him a little bit early. Even it look, doesn't look like it. But um, I mean he had more opportunities uh, to kind of to to do more things. And and he it was it was really up and down. It was just it wasn't consistent. So um, I mean there's there was a lot of things to work with. It probably more than than ever uh this entire preseason or this entire season honestly you're saying he's on a downward trend yeah you know he's (laughs) trending down so you know think about that though that that performance is the bottom right now right that's that's insane well i kind of looked at it like you know the first quarter he had jitters he was kind of he was kind of he was juiced he missed oh, yeah. some easy throws. Andy actually schemed up some really easy looks for him early, too. Like, it was very basic route concepts, simple reads, and he was still just juiced. The second quarter was a masterpiece, and then the third quarter, third and fourth quarter were just kind of, you know, it, it, what we just talked about. It was just, you know, the way that the script and, and all that stuff, like, it was just, it was, it was... It was a team that was up a thousand. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you speaking know? of Andy, how late do we think he stays up every night with a whiteboard, just drawing up play after play, utilizing all a hundred yards of a field? I don't know. The triple motion had to be done at like I don't know four in the morning. He had to be like just <laughs> that <laughs> was like so, you said. We're was seeing so t- new stuff every week, and guys are running wide open. We scored five touchdowns on our first five possessions, and we had Mahomes missed what three touchdowns in the first half that we still yes. ended up scoring on, but wide open touchdowns that he missed. Right. Like, how many different plays can Andy Reid come up with where guys are wide open all over the field? Like, he's just got to be going to town all night long, drawing up new plays. Like, oh well, now I can throw the ball here or here on the same play. It's he's got to be having so much fun right now. So you're saying Pat Mahomes is Andy Reid's speed right now, just keeping him awake all night. 
Yeah, that's what it is. That or system quarterback, one of the two. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I like. I was writing some of the article last night, and I was just, I had energy, and I just like I couldn't fall asleep easy last night because I was just so excited about all the stuff I was seeing on tape with him. Um, so like I, I get it. Like he is kind of like Pat's a drug. Alex Smith was not. Uh, he was a sedative, and and Pat's keeping me up at night. So. Um, <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, at D Johnston 29 asks, it seems that a lot of defensive shortcomings have been from the coverage and miscommunications of the linebackers and safeties. Uh, in theory, should this improve with Barry and Sorensen back? Uh, what do you guys think, uh, Craig? Uh, yeah, I mean, Barry obviously helps. Barry helps just from a communication standpoint and from a quality of play standpoint on the back end there. I really do think that... You know, Daniel Sorensen has a huge role on this team if he can come back, if he can be a player coming back from injury. I think we all kind of looked at the Dan Sorensen injury when it when it happened and went, oh, well, it's a good thing that we've got Dorian O'Daniel. It's a good thing we've got some of these coverage linebackers since we'd kind of been told that Reggie and Anthony were going to be fine in coverage. We just kind of wrote a little bit of that off. As it turns out, Dan Sorensen would be playing almost 100% of the snaps for this team as a hook defender and would be fairly good at it. So I think that both of those guys make a massive difference in the center of this defense if both of them can come back healthy, which is the big if. Maddie? Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. We've kind of touched on it already, so there's not a whole lot more that I can say that Craig just didn't touch it. Excuse me, touch on right there. But besides Eric Berry coming back, I don't think there's a whole lot of the communication issues that are going to get flushed out. We just seem to have a little bit of a disconnect. And it may be more time helps, but there's just a little bit of a disconnect between what everybody's doing on any given play. We, just, we don't flow very well when we're in a static zone. So that's a big part of it. If we can start getting a few more stops, limit the number of snaps we're out there, maybe we get more of the pattern match stuff that we seem to be pulling off a little bit better against San Francisco. That's kind of my hope with when Barry comes back, they look a little bit more fluid. But outside that, I mean, it's the same stuff that we always have. It's just going to be a defense that's out there all the time, and they're not guys that get along super well in zone right now. For a second there, I thought we were going to get the shortest answer in the history of Matt Lane. It was just going to be a yeah. <laughs> but no, he went, out, <laughs> he went up and dropped a dropped a minute-long nugget. No, I'm not. <laughs> Still might be my shortest answer. Dude, Pete, <laughs> Pete, Pete would have been so happy. Like, I'm sorry, Pete. When you when you go to edit my article, I'm sorry. Or this podcast, Me too. he's gonna be like these long monologues. It's great. Oh, um, he's so happy that I get to have a little bit more time to record him now, then, isn't he? Oh, this is yeah. No, no kidding. <laughs> um, okay, at K Gumminger Gumminger asks, this was a defense based on creating turnovers in timely situations. Are the defenders putting themselves in place to have those chances? Or is everything just wide open for the opponent? I think it's the lack of playmakers they currently have playing every week. What do you guys think? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Matt, go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. You hit it. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, no, that's, I think that's, that's a fail by me. That's a failure by me. Nah, Sorry. You're good. Uh, I think that's it. Like Every single player we have just about across the board in the secondary, besides Ron Parker, is a ball denial guy. Like Eric Murray, when he played corner and now at safety, all the corners, they're guys that play facing the receiver more than they play facing the ball. They're not, they don't have this like bad ball skills, but they don't locate track and then go make a play on the ball in terms of trying to take it away from an opponent. So I don't think you're going to have a ton of turnovers coming from anybody besides fumbles. 
It's just not the way anybody on the team plays, which is fine. It's just something that you can't expect anymore without having the Marcus Peters and the Terrence Mitchells, guys that were really good trying to go attack the ball. So I think things are just open, as we've talked about, with the miscommunication stuff and trying to get the right personnel on the field, not necessarily guys trying to put themselves into chances to make turnovers. Yeah, and that's why I wanted Matt to go first because I can just say yeah and look smart because Matt's smart. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's he's right. We don't have guys peeling off trying to make plays. It, we're not seeing guys trying to jump around. Kendall Fuller did last week against Pittsburgh, and that's like the only one that we can really think of off the top of our heads. It's There's just not a whole lot of it there. They're more do your job. Be in your responsibility, you know, do what you're supposed to do, which is why it's so baffling to me that they are so terrible with their coverage responsibilities <laughs> right now. So, yeah, no, that that is kind of terrifying. Um, I wanted to peel back to this question real quick. It's from Sports Talk. Evan is the second half of a question, and it's nothing to do with football. We're going to end with a football question. I've got two more. After, I got this one and another one. Um, he said uh, he's visiting Kansas City for the Jags game. Uh, wants to know what a must-do for the weekend is, and I don't want us to give the same answers we gave last week, which were beer company, tailgating, and barbecue, and the Western Auto sign. So give me something new, each of you. Craig, something that he must do outside of those things in Kansas City during the Jags game weekend. Uh Go out to the Nelson Art Museum. It's a really kind of dope museum. I've spent many an afternoon there. It's a fun time. Maddie, Go down to North Kansas City. Go to Chicken and Pickle. Try a new beer. Go out there and play some pickleball. If you've never heard of it, they have some stuff on their website about how to play. Be ready to actually, you know, run around and work a little bit. It's kind of like a mixture of tennis and like giant badminton ping pong kind of thing but it's a lot of fun go there have some beers play some cornhole and other games that you've heard of before but gotta try pickleball at least once pickleball is the greatest game in the history of games i uh if if you could get all 22 a pickleball i'd probably i, I bet you i could youtube and find some i'm cold <laughs> oh I'm, i would love to get some all 22 and break down your pickleball game it's an all two it's an all two right or it could be an all four it could be an all four because it's two and two or one and one. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely uh, quitting Arrowhead Pride and starting uh, Pickle Nation. Uh, so uh, nice knowing <laughs> you guys. Gosh, that, that's a great idea. I, I would say let's uh, go go check out the Negro Leagues Museum. Uh, it's really, really cool. Uh, a good that, one. Yeah, I, I thought, I, yeah, definitely worth it. Um, last question at Keith McLean78, our guy who's here this weekend, actually. Um, given the Denver's defensive strengths and weaknesses, who do you see being the driver of the offense next week? Kelsey, Hunt, Hill, Watkins, Matthew, start us off. Can I say Pat Mahomes? No. <laughs> okay. That's so no. weak. Come on. No, realistically, it's Travis Kelsey. He's killed the Denver Broncos the last however many times he's played him. What? Looking at it here, his last three games versus the Broncos, eight catches for 101 yards, 11 catches for 160 yards and a touchdown, seven catches for 133 yards and a touchdown. They have nobody on their roster that matches up with him very well. So they have some decent corners on the outside or even in the slot. And while they can't keep up with Watkins or Hill, in my opinion, they have literally nobody they can put up to stop Kelsey unless they're going to go ahead and put in multiple guys on him. And we've already seen that you can't single cover Watkins and Hill for an entire game. 
Yeah, and just to be different, because I agree with that, I'm going to go with uh, Kareem on that one. Watching the couple Denver games this year, they can't stop the run very well. They they seem to be giving up easy rushing yards. Marshawn Lynch just went nuts on them and was able to kind of rush at will until he tired out towards the end of the game. So I think Kareem gets it done, and kind of especially when the Chiefs are going to be up huge in the second half, Kareem's going to have plenty of opportunities. Where's the respect for last time they played him's leading rusher, Anthony Sherman? Where's where's the Sherman love, guys? We were only we were only given four options. There was no Sherman on the list. Oh, uh, I, I was just I was just listing them because I mean, like you know, you can oh, say, go out on the I limb. mean, it's pretty it's pretty obvious it's not going to be Demarcus Robinson unless Matt's about to jump in with that. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Anthony Sherman does not lead the team in rushing against the Denver Broncos this upcoming Monday. Wow. That is Demetrius know. Harris catches another touchdown pass. That's happening. And he well, drops Tlaib's another not one. there for him to beat off the snap anymore, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is weird. Pat's played. This will be Pat's fifth game, and this is a repeat. So this is he's seen this opponent already. That's going to be no, interesting. No, he's never seen a defense like them, Kent. Chris Harris told me. <laughs> oh, that's right. He's seen he's seen better, frankly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's it for this week, guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please uh, make sure to ask us questions next week. We love all of these. It's our favorite section of the uh, of the podcast every single week. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, hopefully after a win on Monday night against the Denver Broncos. Bye. And if somebody starts a pickleball league, make sure you hit up Kent. We got wigs that we can pass out for uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Okay, we'll end on that. Kent's hair. Great. Awesome. Okay. Later, guys. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.